0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist podcast. This is your host, Saranya Kerry, And today I have Amani Side, right? I said it right. You said, said it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Amani Side today, who will be our guest for this podcast. Um, I don't have to greet you because we have been talking before this podcast, right? <laughs> okay, so um, could you introduce yourself uh, for someone who does not know you.
1: Yes, so today I am a founder of a company called Success Beyond the Lab. I'm a career coach, trainer, and speaker. And if you ask me why I decided to start this company, it's because I was once a lost scientist myself and had no clue what to do with my career after my PhD. So after figuring out the hard way, how to create a career that is actually fun and fulfilling. I decided I want to help lots of more scientists to do the same. So that's what I'm on. I'm on this mission to help scientists not just launch a dream career, Mm. but to use the knowledge we have to make a difference in society, because I believe we can do that as scientists. So there is more I can tell you, but that would be the main thing I want to share with people. Okay. <laughs>
0: Which, what were you doing before doing the, like going into doing that? Could you be specific more about what you're doing before?
1: Oh, my God. Sarah, I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> we, have a no, time. I, mm. we have a lot of time. We have a lot of time, yeah. So... Maybe I can just explain my journey into science and okay? because I am a career coach and, and career is basically like the topic I like to talk and teach about. Mm. So when I was in school, I loved biology. I remember going to biology class and mm. it was like watching a movie for me. Yes, I was one of those nerds. I would be like, oh my God, this is so <laughs> exciting. Tell me more. <laughs> it was literally like watching a movie, going to biology class. Mm. And I just noticed I would look forward to going to these lessons. Like all the other lessons were okay. I was a good student in, in general, but mm-hmm. biology would just get me so excited. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I decided then to study biomedicine because I wanted to pursue a career that helps people. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I always want I want to help people. So I thought first to become a doctor, but then at the age of 15, I did an internship in the hospital And I did not like seeing lots of sick people suffering. So I'm like, no, I don't think I want to be a doctor. Mm. But I still love science. I love biology. So I thought, okay, maybe if I become a scientist, I can create like cures, you know, and like help people who are sick in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's really what got me on the path of science. I studied biomedical science. Then I decided to move to Germany. So I grew up in Sweden Mm -hmm. and I moved to Germany to do a PhD there. Mm -hmm. at the age of 23 yeah I started quite early with my PhD Mm -hmm. and in the beginning I was very enthusiastic you know Mm -hmm. I could not wait to start my PhD because I felt like finally I get to do real science because as a master's student you would get these like short projects like that are quite simple and straightforward Mm -hmm. not like like risky projects yeah. and then all of a sudden as a phd i had like three four years to really experiment on something mm-hmm. but half a year into my phd that's when i got my first uh you like to talk about lows right so i had my first low half a year into the phd mm-hmm. where all the data that i had been working on just went into the bin it was <gasps> really really like just like okay You know, all this experiments you did. And I was working so hard. I was working nights. I was working weekends. Like, I was working my butt off. And then my PI told me, sorry, like, it doesn't, um, it contradicts the hypothesis we had. And for Uh me, I was like, so what? So what? I mean, it's still data, right? Yeah. It's still data, but it was negative data. Mm-hmm. it's not confirming the hypothesis and that was kind of my first wake up call what science is like sometimes that mm-hmm. if it's not confirming the story that we want to tell mm-hmm. we trash that data mm-hmm. and I got so frustrated and I was like but somebody probably wants to know this information you know, that this doesn't work so
0: mm-hmm. they don't
1: also waste half a year of their mm-hmm. time doing yeah. it yeah. it's like nobody's going to publish that So I think that was the beginning of the downfall of my belief and my enthusiasm for science, to be honest. Yeah, because then it became like the PhD became more about creating positive data to sell a story Mm. so we can publish versus actually looking for new knowledge. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I don't know why I'm so taken aback with that. (laughs) Yeah, you can, can you resonate with that?
0: I'm like, okay. So what did you do about it? Sorry, I have to ask.
1: I mean, I was young, you know, so I was like, I started this thing and I just have to finish it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to give up. I'm also not a quitter. So I'm like, although I felt that it wasn't aligned with my beliefs and mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, it doesn't seem that I really fit in, into this work culture, and this is not what I thought science would be like. Mm-hmm. And already from the get-go, I started getting these messages like, well, of course, so you're going to become a group leader, and you're going to become a professor. And I I mean, I'd never even thought of that. When I started my PhD, it was more about I love science. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have this like set vision that I want to become a professor. But then I started getting these messages, right? But of course, this mm-hmm. is this is your path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I noticed, like, I started getting almost like brainwashed that this is what you should become. This is what you should do to be a successful scientist. Mm. And I started struggling with that because I felt, but this is not me. So it felt like, you know, like when people talk about imposter syndrome and that it's so common in academia, I think it's like people trying to force themselves to fit in into this box of what it's like to be a successful scientist. Mm. And then you feel you're not a successful scientist because you're not living up to these expectations and mm. these standards. Like, mm. oh yeah, I have a life. I actually don't want to work <laughs> 24-7 mm. or I don't want to become a professor or, or publishing was not maybe my main priority. It was mm. more about actually creating knowledge that is interesting. Anyway, I think a lot of things in academia are broken. And today as a career coach, I find it sad and frustrating that still the same issues are are ongoing, and a lot of young people are losing faith and quitting science for for some of these reasons. You know this frustration that I also felt when I was younger, so that that was definitely a low in mm. my scientific career. Mm. But then that also pushed me to look for something else. I'm like, okay, you know, if you don't fit in an academia and if this is not your world, mm. but you still want to create something meaningful mm. using your career. I started asking these hard questions. Well, what is that? What is that meaningful thing mm. that I'm going to create, mm. you know? And that's really when the hard part started, because it's safe when you're a student and you're in academia and you're in that culture, you know what to expect, you know what you can do. But as soon as you leave that bubble, uncertainty hits you. Yeah. <laughs> and you go like, whoa, because there are so many possibilities outside of that world. Mm. Okay.
0: So, um, you, you mentioned that you grew up in Sweden, right? Mm. And, uh how is it the the biology is it like uh you you mentioned that initially you wanted to be a doctor right did you know about being a scientist when you're still in school when you're still not before not after
1: if i knew about being a scientist when i was in school like if there's a path
0: being a scientist okay
1: no no you just knew i actually Mm -hmm. no i only found out about science when i was like uh, a bachelor student really it was until that point i had never considered becoming a scientist and to be honest the only reason why i did it was because i wanted to travel because uh, as a bachelor student they offered us to do our bachelor project abroad Mm -hmm. and then like you you can do these three, four months of your bat- the final thesis in another country mm. and, and work in a research institute. And mm. not everybody went for that, but I'm a very curious person. So I'm like, whoa, I get to go to another country? Let's do it. So that was probably the, the thing that made me want to become a scientist. So I ended up at the EMBL, the European Molecular Biology Laboratory in Heidelberg, which is a very famous institute. Mm. But back then I didn't know. I was just like, I just want to go abroad and have fun. So I had the best time of my life, these three Mm. months. Mm -hmm. I was like partying hard, working hard. Then I got to really understand what it's like to do research. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun. Mm. So I'm like, I want to become a scientist this is like playing in the lab and you get paid for playing I mean this is awesome yeah if you compare
0: that with the people who have become scientists in your space like from from where you grew up if they are uh do you think it's the exposure that made them like there's the same exposure that you had that made them become scientists or something else
1: I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. I mm. think when I, because I always ask people I talk to, and I talk to a lot of scientists, mm. I usually ask them, why did you become a scientist? Mm. And when I give workshops and trainings, I also sometimes ask people, please share in the chat, what, what are some of these values mm. that made you become a scientist? Mm. I think one common factor I hear a lot is curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think this is what a lot of scientists have in common when you're curious and you mm-hmm. just want to know more mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Yeah.
0: How was your university life like when you were doing your biology degree?
1: Bachelor, master you mean? That that time yeah. before the PhD or PhD? Bachelor. Yeah. I have to say it was boring because it was all like these lectures like you would get like these super thick books of biochemistry, like I don't know 500 pages and boring lectures Hmm. and then so I remember not studying too much until it was time to have the exam, then I would study like I was Crazy. one of these sprint yeah, I was like a sprint student. Mm-hmm. I didn't do marathons, I did mm-hmm. sprints. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, exams coming up. Okay, study it and then I would actually get really good grades mm-hmm. despite studying last minute. Mm-hmm. But if anybody's listening to this podcast and thinking, Please. Yeah, I do that too, don't do it. And you know why? Mm-hmm. Because ask the person three weeks later what yeah. what did you learn? it's out it's out of your head like 80 percent of the stuff is gone Mm. so repetition is key so i definitely if there was one thing i would do differently if Mm. i go back Mm. i would study more consistently because then the knowledge really gets integrated Mm. in your memory
0: okay um so you didn't do anything out of school apart from that embl thingy right when you still do your bachelor's
1: related to science you mean yes yeah yeah no that was the only thing I did yeah so
0: how did you transition to your master's like how did you know you want to go to your master's
1: I didn't immediately so yeah I did a little different transition so I didn't Mm. go straight into master I actually applied for a job because Uh I wanted to start earning money and Uh feel like an adult Uh so I applied for a job as a lab technician in Uh a research group at Uh the University of Uppsala and I was very lucky. I mean, I think the universe has been—I am. Thank you. Has been sending me lots of nice people <laughs> in my career, mm. and I had the most amazing boss. He was so supportive, and he was like, he was encouraging me all the time to mm. study and do a PhD and mm. and you know succeed in life. So he's like, you know what? Why don't you do a master while you're doing while you're working for me? You can do both. Mm. So I had that option. So I'm like, great. So I was like taking courses in the evenings, mm. and then the research project I did as a technician um, became my master thesis. Mm. So basically, for two years, I was working as a technician while doing my master's. Mm-hmm. And well, um, mm. yeah,
0: was it a okay? But normally, masters are not a paid position, right?
1: normally not mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. so well that but was there a good I was, thing. yeah oh that was an amazing thing mm-hmm. and and he was so great i loved him robert robinson that's his name and mm-hmm. and i remember asking him back then when mm-hmm. he hired me i was like why did you become a scientist mm-hmm. he's like i just wanted to travel the world i found it so funny because you know i thought he was going to say it's my calling mm-hmm. and I, and i believe in science and science is so amazing he's like you know i was young and it was like the tickets to travel the world. And I was like, I don't want a job that I'm stuck in an office all the time. I want to travel. And science is the best way to travel. I'm like, okay, makes sense. Mm.
0: <laughs> Could you explain to someone who doesn't understand the
1: traveling part as a scientist? Yeah, because, I mean, there is a downside to that, of course. The the upside is that Mm. it's easy to get jobs abroad because Mm. usually the jobs are based on scholarship or temporary contracts for postdocs. The downside of it is that you don't have any permanent contracts. There's Mm. no safety, right? Mm. Mm. So scientists can easily spend, you know, two years here and then they move and then two years here and then they move, three years here and then they move. And even when you become a group leader, like uh, Bob Robinson, my previous job, he also had to move. So he spent five years in Sweden. Mm. And then after five years, his contract was over and he had to move again. So he Mm. moved to Singapore. And again, until you become a professor, which is basically the only permanent contract most of the time, unless you're a staff scientist.
0: And how long does that
1: take for you to get to professorship after you've gotten your bachelor's? (laughs) Yeah, you probably have lots of gray hair, but I guess, yeah, it varies from person to person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we all know that that path is very, very difficult to reach. I think mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics, it's only like 0.6% who end up becoming professors, right?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't know. I didn't know. 06 mm-hmm. That's, that's very, yeah. yeah. Okay. In general, it's very low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not even 1%.
1: But then I also think that we need to address that being a scientist, and I like this, I sometimes see this hashtag on LinkedIn, mm. once a scientist, always, always a, scientist. a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't believe if you leave academia, you've failed. You... Mm-hmm. Or that you're not a scientist. Mm-hmm. My God, like I, I'm using my scientific thinking and mm-hmm. methodology and mm-hmm. everything I do. Mm. everything even my cooking like the way I cook is scientific you know like (laughs) I structure everything and it's so yeah it's so analytical Mm. I mean it's crazy so um, I think it's important to see that that when we're doing science it's like a training Mm. so see it as a vehicle it's a vehicle that Mm. is taking you somewhere It's not the end destination, the Mm -hmm. PhD or the postdoc or the master, whatever it is that you're doing. Mm. And if I look back, it's easy to look back in hindsight when you're a bit older and you go like, yeah, oh my God, all these skills and abilities, they come actually from my research training. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to waste. It's not going to waste. Even if you become a yoga teacher mm-hmm. or a dance teacher. I did that actually after my PhD. Mm-hmm. I was a dancer for two years. Mm-hmm. And, and people might think, oh my God, you threw away your PhD. How can you go from science to dancing? Mm. I was like, why am I throwing it away? I'm using a lot of the skills and abilities. And I probably wouldn't have had the courage and the resilience to start a rescue project like that if mm-hmm. I hadn't done a PhD. But after the PhD, I really had this attitude. You know, if I can do this, you can I can do, do anything. <laughs> <laughs> if I can survive this hell, oh my God. God.
0: <laughs> There's nothing you can do.
1: Yeah. So you can also see it as a mental boot camp. Mm. You know, instead of just seeing it, I see that there are lots of posts on Instagram. There is this, what's it called? grad school sucks and the confused post there are all Mm. sorts of accounts on Instagram Mm. focusing a lot on the negative side of of doing research Right, that Mm. it sucks and it's so hard but instead of focusing on the the negative and that it sucks and it's so hard why Mm. don't we see it as a training it's an intense training and resilience Mm. and becoming mentally tough emotionally tough Mm. and then once you survive that you really feel empowered and that you're able to overcome a lot of obstacles
0: this is not the end of this conversation there are more parts of this episode that are coming up tomorrow and the other days but if you'd like to uh, you know be uh, have a taste of what uh Dr. Amani um said gives uh there's a free session I think it's in one-hour session on 15 September on how to identify your dream career as a PhD student. I'm just paraphrasing what she told me. And you can go to her LinkedIn as I've linked on the show notes, or you can just look for Dr. Amani Said or you can go to her website, successbeyondthelab.com, to get more details about her and to get in touch with her.